Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. Yeah, we have finally dropped the spooky monikers. It's November. Although, Paul, looking at the state of the country, it's almost like spooky season's still here. Woo! Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk I'm about just that. Dancing like Donald right now. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> dancing like Donald. That's uh, that's the new craze. That's sweeping the nation. Uh, you know, the maybe... kids on TikTok love it, Cody. <laughs> they love it. They love me. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're I here. Just, I just do a little dance. <laughs> Look, we uh, get it. You've been inundated with election coverage all week long, all month long, and uh, you came here to escape. And what did we do? We just shoved it right back down your throat. Uh, but I swear to you, we're done talking about it because we are here to start talking about uh, some classic musicals and specifically the last couple months, Paul, we have strayed away from the classic musical genre. Uh, of course, we've talked about some of the greats in the movie musical genre, but uh, the last couple months with some scary musicals, some Muppets musicals, we've kind of strayed away from that. So I think it's time to get back. I think in our, our element, our our reviews the last couple months have been tongue firmly in cheek. You betcha. You betcha your sweet bippy. Uh, they were. And now we are going back to the classical musical genre, uh, really even more so than maybe even uh, when we were doing stuff like Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, because we're talking about two of the most prolific writers in the m musical genre stage musical uh specifically and we're talking about of course rogers and hammerstein hall and oats thank you <laughs> i would watch a hall and oats written musical absolutely if Damn bono right. and edge can write a musical who's to say that a hall and oats can't exactly i i'm down for it yeah i'm absolutely i'm i'm absolutely in on that uh but we're not talking about them we're talking about richard rogers and oscar hammerstein the second uh they are arguably the most prolific writing team in musical history and we are highlighting them this month and we are starting with arguably their most uh their most influential work there's their defining work in fact the very first musical that they ever wrote together and that would be 1943's Oklahoma, but we're of course talking about the 1955 motion picture Oklahoma. Um, Thank God, Cody, because for a second there, I thought I watched the wrong movie. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> did not. Mean I was about to, to go. I was about to go. Oh no. We. Need oh to no. Stop oh no. This podcast right now. No, you are good. Uh, this movie okay. did not come out until 12 years after the stage musical. Uh, I mean, if you've never seen it before and you've never heard any of the music, which you've heard some of the music, even if you have avoided, even if you have not sought out Oklahoma in your life, you've heard some of the music. And if you've never seen it before or in any version, the moment you watch it, it is just one of those where you just get like, oh, I get it. This is this is one of the most influential pieces of pop culture in the first half of the 20th century it just is um and especially in the musical genre it really sets the stage 
uh, for everything that comes after this. Um, it, it is, though, I mean, watching it now, it maybe is like these are all the things we expect in a musical, but really it is kind of like watching uh, something like a Citizen Kane where it's things you take for granted now, but then back then people were like, holy shit, this is blowing my mind. Uh, that's what Oklahoma was, and that's what Rodgers and Hammerstein were, uh, just completely changing the musical genre, defining the modern musical, and uh, this it is kind of incredible that they went, they basically hit a grand slam in their first attempt because the music to this movie uh, is iconic for a reason and it, it, it holds the title of arguably the most influential musical in the genre for a reason. Yeah, this is, um, this is definitely a musical epic. This is a long movie. This is... Yes. Now, I should be saying, I am speaking right now in terms of the influence. If somebody's listening to this and saying, wait a minute, when you're talking movie musicals, are are you kidding me? Oklahoma up there. I'm talking about the musical in general. The stage musical is, in fact, one of the most influential of all time. I think there's I don't really think there's much disputing that. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, you'd know better than I would, but I feel like that's kind of like a benchmark moment in musical history. That's kind of like. Almost like, what do you think of when you think of, you know, it's not in the West, but like a Western-ish musical, you would think like Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just things like the, uh, I mean, there were other musicals before this. Um, you know, there, there were other other pioneers of the genre before this, but this is really the first time... Uh, at least the most fully formed version of a dramatic musical. Obviously, there's a lot of comedic elements, but a dramatic musical where the songs move the plot forward and the songs uh, are, yeah, they're used as a plot device. They are used to move it forward. They're used to tell mm. something about the story, about the characters before this. And I mean, even there's examples in, in movies that we watched that came out before this uh, where... I mean, a lot of those early musicals we watch, especially in the Fred Astaire, Judy Garland era, and they're early in their career, are things that are just kind of like jukebox musicals, where they just kind of take songs uh, from the Great American Songbook and just kind of plop them into the musical, where maybe they sort of connect to what's going on, but this totally changes the game. It completely, uh, yeah, redefines what uh, it's supposed to be, and uh, yeah. I'm going to come up with a new name. At the same time, the music is really good. I'm going to come up with a new ca- new name. Since these aren't really jukebox musicals, as you said, I'm going to call them cut-and-paste musicals because what they do That's is they, they go, oh, this song, we, we're, this song, does it fit in this one? Nah, throw it in the next one. Like that, That's what they do what over they and over again. And, you know, not to diminish them, but that's just the way they were made. It was, it was kind of more – it was actually kind of symptomatic of filmmaking at the time where it was very assembly line based anyway. Yep. It was kind of like, we need to make a Western picture. Put out one. You know, that's exactly exactly. But then, yeah, obviously, you're right. There's no disparaging it, because when you have the talent of of that era, which there was immense talent, then you're going to create something special uh, despite that. So but yeah, this uh, the Rogers and Hammerstein blueprint becomes something that to this day we're following. Uh, I I think really the only other composer or only other musical writer in the genre or only other writer in the genre that really comes close to them i'd say it's sondheim 
uh, where he kind of takes it to another level. Um, you could say Andrew Lloyd Webber has the success. Uh, I would I would argue not so much the uh, you know on the on the influential side critically, uh, but that's another. Story. Ooh, hot take, Cody. Oh, that is not a hot. I mean, I guess it's a hot take. It's a snob take, is what it is. To be quite honest, <laughs> that is me being an absolute snob. I'll be honest, but. Uh, this is certainly their crowning achievement. It's a beautiful, the music is just instantly iconic. It's, it's incredible. Uh, I have watched, I think at least two or three versions of this musical and, uh, I had never seen the actual movie. I had known the music from the movie, the Gordon McRae, uh, version and, uh, Shirley Jones versions of the songs are kind of the most iconic versions. So I knew the music from this. Mu- Wait, this so you version. hadn't seen the movie either? I had not seen the actual movie. I've seen Oklahoma and I've okay. heard the music from this because it's the one. It, it is kind of the iconic version of the songs. Uh, but yeah, I had seen other versions. There is a really great version that aired on PBS in the late 90s that actually features Hugh Jackman as Curly. Uh, that is absolutely it's absolutely worth checking out because everybody in it is really, really good. Um but yeah, I'd actually so, never seen the movie version. Wow, this is this is you know, I, there's what I can only count on maybe one hand the amount of times we're actually going into this double blind, uh, double blind on here. What is it? This, uh, the uh, a couple of the Halloween there ones. Been, right? There have been a few other ones as well that uh, I had like really? seen bits and pieces of them, but I'd never seen them oh, all God. the way through. So yeah, I feel like it's definitely more more of a lesser occurrence. This than... is as much of a, a you know a, in, entertaining the audiences as it is just, you know an education process here for us as well. You know, well yeah, it's it's all it's really doing is making me question your your uh, your your expertise in musicals. Well, <laughs> so, that's on. fair. I, look, I never I feel consider like myself to be an expert. I just considered myself to be a very big fan. That's all. I didn't you know. I'm not here to be Cody, the end all be all. I'm not the the czar the of contract, the contract you made me sign said, <laughs> in join in, join in with expert Cody Pasby as he talks with you about musicals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Whatever. I mean, I'm an expert yeah. of a few musicals, so that was not a lie. So you, if you, that was not mm. technically a lie. Anyway. Uh, Interesting. But yes, this is some of the most iconic music. Also, yeah, this is a musical that suddenly... I feel like has found its way into modern pop culture as of late. Specifically, if you watched the fantastic HBO Watchmen adaptation or uh, sort of sequel, uh, Oklahoma plays a actually pretty big role in the show, Uh, especially that first episode. uh, There is a production of Oklahoma, and I think throughout the series, songs from Oklahoma are played. Uh, I think there was just the new Charlie Kaufman movie on Netflix also uses a song from Oklahoma from the stage version uh, in the in the movie as well. Yeah, I mean, you hear it all the time. You hear the music from this all the time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about it. So let's start with the, the, the relationship, the partnership, one of the most fruitful partnerships in, in musical history of Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein II. As I mentioned, arguably, arguably the most prolific writing team in, in, in musical history. Uh, they actually had both had success on stage before they began their fruitful partnership. Uh, Hammerstein was born in 1895. He was a child of the theater. His, fo- his father, Oscar Hammerstein the first. 90s kids, you know? Yeah, 90s kids. Yeah, they're so, God, they just think the world, they just think that they, the world was given to them, you know? 
obsessed with retro stuff. And right. Anyway, you know, continue. they all, all this whole like they think everything was steam powered. There was a time, you know, where we had to put logs on and, and you know, we had to burn logs for power. But no, you know, everything's steam, you know, God, so futuristic. So, yes, he was a child of the theater. His father, Oscar Hammerstein I, owned the Victoria Theater in New York City, where he also produced shows, mostly vaudeville. And despite his theater background, uh, Hammerstein discouraged his son from entering the profession, which I feel like is a pretty, uh, that, that's, even today, that's like a thing I feel like I hear all the time. Anyone who's in entertainment is like, I never want my children to do this. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until his father's death in 1914 that Oscar II got his first taste of the theater. He participated in Columbia University's varsity show at the age of 19. He goes on to write and perform in numerous varsity shows while attending Columbia, and he never looks back. Richard Rogers, born 1902, was the son of a prominent physician in Queens, New York. He takes a liking to music around the age of six when he starts playing piano and composed, started composing songs in his early teenage years. Rogers also goes on to attend Columbia University. He would eventually meet Oscar Hammerstein there, although their relationship doesn't really blossom for a couple more decades, to be honest. Uh, they're always, they're, they're kind of working around each other a lot in the New York scene, but they never work directly with each other mm. for nearly uh, another t 25 years or so uh, after they initially meet. He also, Richard Rogers, meets Lorenz Hart, who would be his very first writing partner. And while they were not as prolific uh, a duo as Rodgers and Hammerstein, clearly, uh, Rodgers and Hart go on to pen 28 stage musicals together. Uh, so one of those including Pal Joey, which is uh, one where Gene Kelly gets his big start uh, on Broadway. And uh, Babes in Arms will be another one. Uh, quite a few really iconic songs that enter, you know, that go into the American songbook uh, are penned by them. At the same time, Oscar Hammerstein uh, pairs up with multiple writing partners, most notably with composer Jerome Kern. Uh, Kern and Hammerstein wrote the 1927 musical Showboat together. This one is kind of, depending on what historians you talk to, I think some will say Showboat is the first modern musical, and some will say Oklahoma is the first modern musical. Uh, but 1927, they excuse me, showboat. excuse me, Cody, Cody. Yes. Mod modern musical. Thank modern, you. excuse me. Thank you. Yeah, R E, not E R. Uh, they write Showboat. It, nonetheless, whether you consider it the first modern musical or not, it is one of the most influential. Modern. Thank you. Um, most influential stage musicals of all time. Uh, the first to stray away from the musical's comedy genre and from vaudeville. Uh, those were the shows that still dominated Broadway at the time, uh, and they present a more dramatic story with music uh, to audiences. So in the early 1940s, both these both these guys are having success on their own. But in the early 1940s, Rogers is seeking a new creative partner. Lorenz Hart, unfortunately, develops a dangerous alcohol addiction that would uh, shortly after take his life uh, prematurely. So Rogers approaches his old classmate from Columbia uh, about working together on some shows, and he agreed. Uh, they strike gold immediately. The very first show they write together, of course, is this one, 1943's. Oklahoma. Uh, they were actually both interested in developing a musical. Uh, this is the Oklahoma is based off the play uh, 1930s Green Grow the Lilacs. And both of them, independent of each other, were actually interested in making a musical based on this play just by chance. Um, in, in fact, Couple going back. Nerds. In, yeah, total nerds. Exactly. 
So going back even a little bit more, originally Rogers and Hart were working on this project. Hart didn't really like it. He didn't like the whole Western setting. He liked to be in more urban, gritty settings uh, for his projects. So he basically just dropped out immediately. And then, as I mentioned, uh, unfortunate alcohol addiction uh, for him as well. At the same time, with Rogers and Hart already working on it, Richard Rogers calls up Oscar Hammerstein, says, hey, I got a project. I would love for you to get in on this project. Happens to be this one. He says, great, I'll help with the book. And then when Hart leaves, they basically decide, you know what? We're going to take this on uh, the moment that Hart leaves. And it's the first Rogers and Hammerstein production. The original play featured numerous square dancing scenes and folk songs. So adapting the stage play into a musical always felt like something that was bound to happen. It wasn't very popular, but it had started to, started to gain traction apparently over the last few years. And yeah, it just kind of felt like a no-brainer. Uh, very easily, very easy to adapt it with songs already in there, basically. But Rodgers and Hammerstein take it to another level. They do much more than that, uh, than just adding you know some funny, snappy tunes to play uh, along with some already fun songs. They completely changed their writing technique. Hammerstein would write the lyrics first, then Rogers would write the music to go along with those lyrics. Uh, and they wanted to write songs around the plot of the show or songs that would advance the plot rather than throwing in songs that had little to nothing to do with the story. Something that at the time, like we talked about, pretty unheard of at that point. The result is a critical and commercial hit, the likes which had never been seen on Broadway. The show premiered on Broadway on March 31st, 1943. It ran for a then-record 2,212 performances. It wins a special Pulitzer Prize, and it's almost instantly regarded as one of, if not the most groundbreaking stage musical of all time. Uh, all this said, it should come as no surprise that nearly every single Hollywood studio tried to get their hands on the film rights. MGM, 20th Century Fox, Columbia, and United Artists all were interested in the project, some dating back to just months after the show had opened. But Wow, suddenly a lot of suitors at this debutante ball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in a fairly shocking move, an upstart studio bought the film rights, one that uh, I had never even heard of before this. They don't even have any sort of like... They, they, they produce very few movies a studio called Magna Theater Corporation. They buy the rights uh, and wanted Oklahoma to be the debut of the studio's revolutionary new widescreen filming process, Todd A.O., uh, named after one of the studio's founders, Michael Todd. So they were founded by three guys, uh, Michael Todd, George Skoros, he was uh, uh, Skoros, excuse me, uh, the eventual president of United Artists, and uh, Joseph Schenck, the former chairman of 20th Century Fox. So three guys who had clout in the industry. But Todd was sort of the guy leading the charge here. Uh, I got to ask, where did you watch the movie? Uh, how did you watch the movie? Um, uh, you don't have to save. Through means? <laughs> there you go. Um, did it happen to look... So there's two different versions of the movie. They're the same version. They just look a little okay. different. One okay. is your traditional of the time, the cinemascope look. Uh, I think it even says presented in cinemascope at the beginning. But most of the HD versions now, if you find them, are presented the original Todd A.O. cut. 
And if you're like, what the hell does that even mean? So Tadeo shot films ran at 30 frames per second, uh, which made it actually impossible. That's to... yeah, that's the standard digital now. That's weird. Exactly. I was watching it and going, whoa, this was made when I was blown away at how good it looked. I, I guess I should ask, did it look like did it kind of just look like, yeah, this looks like an old movie or did it look like, holy shit, this is crystal clear. I'm trying to. It looks pretty clear. I'm trying to. See, now I've got to go. I'm. Going, I have yeah. it rolling right now. I'm going to the beginning. I want to see what shows up in the beginning. If it says Tadeo, then you were watching the original cut. Um, and again, they was shot on Tadeo, and it was shot on a Cinemascope. So you're basically watching the same movie. No Cinemascope. No, it just says. It just says the Metro Goldwyn thing. Yeah. So it, it's the same movie. It's just that one looks a lot clearer, uh, and that's the Tadeo version. So 30 frames per second, which, as you mentioned, that is digital today. Uh, which is why it, it almost looks like it was just shot yesterday. It's pretty impressive. Um, wow. But, of course, that makes it impossible to print on 35-millimeter prints, since, of course, those run in 24 frames per second. So it was simultaneously shot, as I mentioned, in CinemaScope 35-millimeter format, so that theaters that didn't have the means to play a 70-millimeter film could actually play this. Uh, so, yeah, there's actually two different versions of the film with two different takes, they're the same movie, but slightly different takes, um, which is why they did like a roadshow format here. And it really this kind of starts a new trend in Hollywood, too, where uh, a lot of big musicals like this were presented as roadshow projects before hitting wide release. I would highly recommend watch at least a clip, maybe find the, the that version because it's uh, it's really impressive how good it looks. So Magna Theater Corporation. Sorry, did you say did you say Maga Theater Corporation? Mm, Paul, we said we weren't gonna make we were gonna try to stray away from okay. politics here. People have been right. say, been inundated right. with it, Paul. But All yes, right. I did actually. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but Make America Great Again Theater Corporation. Uh, no, uh, Magna Theater Corporation uh, wanted to make a statement with this movie clearly, uh, and they did that. To the tune of an $11 million investment, which, uh, again, for 1955 numbers, is about $30 billion. That's uh, the rough math. Big in, the big investment doesn't stop once production begins. Originally, the plan was to film on location in Oklahoma, uh, although that was quickly shot down, uh, mostly due to the amount of new farming, uh, of, new, uh, of new business, and specifically, the amount of oil rigs that uh, were just sitting around the plains of Oklahoma everywhere. There was just not like a good place to get a nice wide shot uh, with nothing in the horizon. There was always some sort of oil uh, refinery somewhere in Oklahoma. So that was shot down. The film was shot instead in various spots across Arizona, uh, most notably Nogales, Arizona. Uh, shooting in the desert presented of course its own set of challenges most notably uh, the line corn is as high as an elephant's eye there is no corn growing as high as an elephant's eye in arizona of course so where are you going to find that to help with that the university of arizona's agricultural department planted corn stalks in their own little individual containers uh, left them outside got some unexpected rain they had this all prepped about a year in advance by the way uh, they get unexpected rain in arizona and they were able to grow them up to 16 feet before filming began 
So yeah, a full year in advance for production here. And while preparing for it, uh, their art director, Joseph Wright, studied weather records for the location. Uh, He discovered that they showed that the area was subject to horrible spring floods. Uh, Apparently, he fought to construct a dam (laughs) to protect the set. What a busy little beaver. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) The studio objected, uh, but he insisted... We need to invest $15,000 to construct a dam to protect the, the, uh, the sets that we're building. They gave in. They said, fine, we'll do it. Lo and behold, the spring floods happen. And they apparently saved about $250,000 in sets. Wow. There you go. Science, baby. Son of a bitch. That's insane. Yeah. That's the amount of uh, you could just tell the studio was like, we have to like, we cannot fuck this up or we're done. Uh, Yeah. Reminds me of the uh, a Disney reference here. But I always think of Walt Disney talking to like the animators of Sleeping Beauty being like, well, if this fails, we're all going bankrupt. So good luck. It's basically the same the same vibe this entire time this movie is being made. Like, better not fuck this up because we're all done. So further proof that um, Magna Corp is trying to make a statement with their maiden voyage. Here are the original choices for the lead role of Curly. One, Paul Newman. And two, most surprisingly, and this one went far, James Dean was nearly Curly. Uh, According to Turner Classic Movies, Dean, quote, made a sensational screen test with Rod Steiger in the Poor Judd is Dead number, but his voice just wasn't strong enough. So they get singer Gordon McRae, uh, who is cast in the main role, and he's spectacular. Steiger later said that Dean, quote, hadn't quite gotten his technique together. At the time of his death, he was working too much on instinct. He'd be brilliant in one scene and then blow it the next. He also said that Dean was, quote, a nice kid, Absorbed by his own ego so much that it was destroying him, unquote, which he believed led to his death. Dean apparently gives Steiger a copy, his copy of Ernest Hemingway's book, Death in the Afternoon. And he had underlined every occurrence of the word death. Kind of dark. <laughs> OK. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let's try to get let's try to get happy again. We're talking about Oklahoma here, but I just found that a little. I know. Damn. Okay. It's a little slightly disturbing. So you want to you you want to describe uh, the exact wounds he had when he died in that car crash, no, Cody? God, you no, God. Wanna... <laughs> I mean, anyway. <laughs> anyway, back to being chipper and happy. Uh, Laurie was set to be played by future Academy Award winner Joanne Woodward. Coincidentally, Joanne Woodward uh, would later marry Paul Newman, who was considered for the role. So uh, this just, is where they could have met. It, yeah, exactly. Could have met as uh, the original Curly, Curly, uh, you know, Curly and Laurie. But uh, you know, could have gotten married a lot sooner. Could have, could have saved about three years, I believe. Oh well. Eventually, uh, they landed on newcomer Shirley Jones. Of course, Shirley Jones. Uh, we know her and Gordon McRae. Uh, Paul, you texted me this earlier. You were saying, didn't we watch this movie? What are, what's going on? Uh, yes, they were in Carousel together literally one year later uh, yeah, based on the I, success. It was, it was something about their just watching them in the same screen talk to each other. I was sitting there and I'm like, I swear I haven't seen this before. 
And I was like, why do I feel like, why is my brain telling me I've seen this before? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, I'm thinking of Carousel. And it's not just that one. It's also Rodgers and Hammerstein. But it's also like very similar character dynamics, too. I mean, they're the same writers, the same actors. But, yeah, they have a knack for writing sort of charmingly, charming assholes. Douchebags. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and sort of, yeah, uh, you know these very very almost porcelain doll uh female characters who are who are so um yeah overly quaint so yeah there's that too uh although curly not nearly uh, as bad a dude uh, oh yeah no no no, no, no. he's like a mostly a good dude um maybe just kind of brash that's all uh which it's all good to be brash that's fine but yeah this is shirley jones's first film credit by the way uh she did play wow. laurie on broadway uh, so they just decided to go with her. And of course, Shirley Jones then goes on to have a very successful career as a movie star and uh, as a TV star, of course, as uh, one of the, as the uh, lead actress in The Partridge Family. So very yep. successful career for Shirley Jones. Also famed character actors Eli Wallach and Ernest Borgnine were considered for the movie, uh, specifically for the show's main adversary, Judd. Uh, eventually, of course, they settle on Rod Steiger. Uh, Steiger, of course, a very familiar face if you're like a big Turner Classic movie junkie. Uh, he appeared in iconic films like On the Waterfront, In the Heat of the Night, and Dr. Zhivago, among a list of many, many others. Other notable castings include actress Gloria Graham. She plays Ado Annie. I never thought about it until this movie, until watching it. And I was like, why is she called Ado Annie? She's not Annie. She's Ado Annie. Yeah. Um, Ado Annie's in Heartbreaks. Thank you. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's why. Yes. <laughs> I saw a couple of explanations on um, musical message boards. This is literally all I could find. Uh, some were Ado, like I do, but it's, you know, with the southern twang. So, because she's so obsessed with, like, getting a man. So, I do Annie, a do Annie, a, a do Annie. Um, there's also much ado about nothing. That she's just kind of this girl who is uh, silly, aloof. Uh, I don't know. It also could just be they liked how it sounded. And so they went with it. Which is probably the right explanation. Apparently, it's it's like a... Swedish, Gr Greenland, or Danish, like, first name, but mostly for a male. Man, if somebody knows, I would love to know, because I've never really thought about it. And in the original play, she's just Annie. She's not ah, Ado. It's an, it's an old German name. The meaning of Ado is noble kind. Ado is a version of Adelaide. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, the description doesn't really describe her character, but it just being Adelaide, okay, fine. I'll go with it. Anyway, yeah. Gloria Graham played Ado Annie. Uh, why am I mentioning her? Well, it's because she was in a musical and also happened to be tone deaf. Uh, apparently, all of her songs were edited together. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> be nice. No, it's... Uh... Look, you can get away with it with that character. You can get away with it because it's a silly four laughs character. But yeah, 
if you had to place a bet on one of these actors is tone deaf, can you guess which one? It's a pretty easy bet. Uh, so she actually recorded all of her songs, uh, literally note by note, and uh, they just stitched it all together. Yeah, it's 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 rough. And you know what? It wouldn't because we've had some musicals before with singers who aren't so strong. Mm-hmm. It, it and, really um, sticks out though when you have Shirley Jones and Gordon McRae leading it. It really yeah, sticks but out. But also. But also, compared to a lot of musicals, these are some long songs. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Like, you know, you get a couple minutes of someone a little, you know, off-key. All right, all right. But when you're talking like three and a half, four minutes, you're like, oh, okay. This is... (laughs) All right, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, yeah, you kind of alluded to it that this is a very... And also, also, she has like a funny voice. Right, right. But she doesn't go all in enough to make it like, like, for instance, he's not tone deaf, but like in the Book of Mormon, Josh Gad, he he's doing such a ridiculous voice that he's so over the top with right. it. You kind of go, okay, I see what he's doing. Yeah, it works. Whereas she is like slightly doing her silly voice and singing earnestly. And yeah. that is like a bad mix. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it was a weird choice. Honestly, it was a really weird choice. But um, I guess they were just thinking this is the comedic role. It's okay. She sounds goofy, which I get it. She, it's I guess it is kind of okay if she sounds goofy. But I digress. So kind of you were kind of alluding to it, Paul, that uh, the the songs in this are long. Uh, they don't do a lot of cuts. This is one of the longest movie. This is one of the longest movies we talked about. And that is really because Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, directly oversaw production of the movie. They were really, really hesitant. They did not like the idea of a studio taking their movie or taking their show and basically cutting it by an hour, um, which would cut a ton. I mean, they would probably cut out the whole ballet. They would probably cut uh, a couple other songs, probably end up cutting the whole uh, Edo Annie storyline, to be quite honest. I think that entire dream sequence is gone. Easily. The dream sequence, which is a highlight of the movie. It's a great yeah. part of the movie. Is but probably it's, gone. It's, it's superfluous, like, plot-wise, right. as far as, like... Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I think, yeah, the whole Edo Annie and Will and uh, Ali Hakim storyline, gone. Which, frankly... Considering some of the other cuts they made, I'm not sure why they left so much of that in. It's a little yeah. surprising. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, it, it does explain why this is so much longer. And it really does usher a whole new era of the movie musical where they go from these 90 minute to two hour, you know, quick romps to let's adapt the full stage musical and let's make it an epic, like you said. Let's make it a, a spectacle. Like you're not just like a going to this is like going out to a night at the theater. Um, yeah, it's not a fun jaunt. No, no, this is not a quick in and out. This is like you're going out for the evening. This is gonna be your entire evening. Like you're getting in there at seven o'clock and you're not getting out until about ten ten thirty. Yeah, they they had intermissions in theaters at this time. Exactly, and this one has that. This one, I mean, literally, this movie has. The uh, I again I don't know if the CinemaScope version had it. They have an overture with uh, with an intermission, and then even with exit music at one point. 
uh yeah it's all it's all within the movie uh which yeah was not normal uh, although yeah for roadshow movies this was a normal thing and this does start a trend of roadshow musicals and movie musicals adapted from stage musicals that are much much longer uh into the 60s but yeah, as I mentioned, some notable cuts made. The two most notable cuts, two songs. Uh, the Ali Hakim song, uh, It's a Scandal, It's an Outrage. You could have cut more of that story. It's the storyline in this movie that I'm always kind of like, why are we doing this? Like, it's there's some fun songs. Obviously, the Kansas City song's really fun. Um, the Kansas City song's really fun. Anyway. Uh, and then... Yeah. Judd's song is cut, which is such a shame. I don't that that's where I'm like, if you're gonna cut if you're gonna keep that much of that story in, but you're gonna cut Judd's song, which maybe I, I did look it up. Uh, apparently since you know, censors in that time were insane. They saw the Judd song, which is like basically this dark, lonely man describing how he feels and he's describing very dark feelings they just were like nah we can't have that in a movie that's not allowed this is this is cutting too deep which is a shame because it it kind of gives you a whole different vibe of the judd storyline okay they make him out in this and, and again he is this sort of repellent character he's supposed to be but that song frames him in a totally different light. Like it is still like, he's not a good dude, but you get where he's coming from a little bit more. Like you kind of sympathize with him a little more of why he is the outcast. Um, kind of a shame. Interesting. Yeah. Because the, the whole time I was just like waiting, like, come on, let's get this guy out of here. Ready. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you watch the stage musical, they are a lot kinder to him. And again, and again, he's the villain of the show. But they are a lot kinder to him. And the whole end of the movie and the whole ending of it is not nearly as cut and dry as it is the stage musical version. A lot more of like, well, you got away with murder, but you're married. So have fun on your honeymoon. Uh, whereas this, it's it's not nearly that. <laughs> so there's no like. Self-defense in the stage one? They That is what they argue is self-defense, but it's like a fight. <laughs> Where, I, I, if memory serves me right, he does actually do the... It's not a... It's kind of like a carousel. Where, uh, what was it? Didn't he fall and it shot him in the stomach? Whereas in the stage version, it is not that. Yeah, he, like, falls on his own knife. That's what... Right, which is what happens here. That's not the case in the stage musical. <laughs> he is, uh... Murdered. <laughs> he is murdered. <laughs> and they all say, Ah, have a good time. Go off on your honeymoon, you crazy kids. Who cares if he's murdered? Anyway, the film was a wildly expensive endeavor for the time, but it still proves to be a big hit. Uh, although, uh, apparently, internationally, huge flop. No one outside of the United States cared. <laughs> uh, which makes sense. Uh, or at least outside of North America, because it did well in Canada as well. Uh, it made its mm. debut uh, as a roadshow film uh, off the brand new Todd A.O. format. That alone grosses $9 million. I think the official budget is $6 million. That doesn't count the investment they actually made to buy the rights. Or that dam. Or that dam. 
I mean, I think the dam's part of the six million, but I I need to look up maybe extra sources because it sounded like six million to shoot the film, but then there's an extra budget to shoot it in CinemaScope. Yeah, they have to film both at the same time. So so maybe yeah. eleven million is that final budget. Which nonetheless, I mean, the fact that they plus may you not- got to pay you got to pay for the tape to tape the two cameras together. Yes, precisely. Yeah. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, a lot very of very scientific. Yes. So it actually makes $9 million, the Todd A.O. version alone, which uh, only was shown in 31 American and Canadian cities. Of course, the box office numbers go up when it is shown in CinemaScope in traditional theaters across the country. The actual soundtrack for the movie, I mentioned the version of the songs I know the most are these. And that's probably because this soundtrack goes on to become one of the most popular film soundtracks in movie history. One of the highest selling film soundtracks of all time. Uh, it easily outsold the Broadway version of the soundtrack. Um, and yeah, it's still to this day is among some of the highest selling film soundtracks. Goes on to mm. be nominated for four Academy Awards, winning two, best scoring of a musical picture and best sound recording. And the in 2014, uh, the Tadeo version, which was mostly lost. It was the CinemaScope version was the one that was in the highest circulation. But now the Tadeo version is seen uh, for most home viewing options, and that is because it was uh, restored and screened at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival back in 2014. So let's discuss this technical marvel that is Oklahoma, starting with the oh, overture. Oklahoma. Nothing quite beats a Rodgers and Hammerstein overture, if I do say so myself. Uh, what a rousing way to start the movie. Uh, and again, Paul, I don't know. Did you have an overture to start the, to start the movie? I probably should have clarified this. Well, you should listen to the overture. It's phenomenal. It's wonderful. Uh, the carousel overture is one of my absolute favorites, too. Uh, they just know how to do it. They know how to get you right in the mood for what you are about to watch. Uh, and then to go from that to just this beautiful scenery going through the corn stalks seeing the incredible fields of what we think is Oklahoma, but it's just somewhere uh, after a nice rainfall in Arizona. Uh, We see Curly, played, of course, by Gordon McRae, admiring the beautiful morning while riding on his horse as he sings, Oh, what a beautiful morning. One of the most iconic, uh, really one of the most iconic Broadway musical songs ever. Really. It really is. And it's a uh, Gordon McRae is uh, just phenomenal. He's the best. I, I think he's such a I love his voice. It's it's the version I, I just think of uh, when I think of this uh, song. Yeah, it's really an amazing opening. Uh, it's just it's a very welcoming song to to a musical. It's kind of like it's, you know, you're starting off on a high with a very like upbeat, like wonderful and it just and it just reminds it's just funny because like it's obviously like the parody for not only what we saw in Cannibal the musical yes but, of course but also like the beginning of South Park bigger longer and uncut you know the tiny little mountain town song yes absolutely uh, uh, it's just it's such a great song and the, like you said his voice is it's butter it's it is butter. I think we talked about on Kara's the Carousel episode. Uh, Gordon McRae was basically like a radio personality uh, who did song who would sing on the radio. Also was like a fixture of the Tahoe Casino 
uh, concert, uh, you know, circuit. Uh, that's where he was really big. That's where he made his name. And then, uh, yeah, he gets cast in this and Carousel back to back. It becomes a, a gigantic star. Um, and obviously, yeah, just a, a phenomenal voice, a, a voice that you seldom hear this style of voice anymore. And uh, I'll say right now, it's a shame. It's a shame. So uh, just a rousing start. Incredible. And as you mentioned, so much musical, so so many musicals like take a pay, take a, you know, take note of this and and run with it for years on end. So Curly arrives to the farm of Aunt Eller, not his aunt, but everybody seems to call Aunt Eller Aunt Eller, um, which is, uh, you know, whatever. I guess that's how things go in Oklahoma. She's played by Charlotte Greenwood uh, and she's churning butter and uh, Curly nearly scares her half to death. But he's going there to really talk to Aunt Eller's niece. That, of course, will be Lori Williams. Played by Shirley Jones. At the farm, Curly invites Laurie to the big box social. Uh, in Carousel, it's a clam bake. Here, it's the box social. You know? Yep. Pick your poison. It's being held that night to raise money for a new schoolhouse. Uh, but uh, Laurie refuses the invitation. She's playing a little hard to get. She, she seems to like him. He likes her. But uh, there's some tension here, clearly. But Curly tries to win her heart and tempt her with an invitation uh, by saying he's got this he's got a hot new whip. And that would be the Surrey with the fringe on the top. Uh, again, it's just the fact that this musical starts with uh, just, uh, you know, two bops in a row. Uh, you can't you can't go wrong. Uh, this is another great song uh, with another great display of gordon mccray here and also some uh fun shots some uh uh some interest some some interesting camera tricks here that they're trying to fully take advantage of like the the technology they have yeah uh when danny zuko shows up it's really <laughs> i feel like she really falls for him but you know she's a little scared he's a little bit of a bad boy that's what it is uh, that's what it is that's yeah. the formula yeah um yeah it is kind of there is a little bit more, like you said, this isn't the her character from Carousel. She's a little bit more like playful and not so much like, oh dear, oh, like the whole time. Like she actually is like messing or messing with him, basically. Like she really only is denying him just to just to fuck with him, basically. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly what she's doing. I mean, now maybe not the best strategy to be like, I'm gonna get at you by going out with Judd. It's a, it's, yeah. It feels like an unforced error on her part, clearly. Uh, yeah. n- not a great strategy. Uh, also, I will say, uh, n- you know, this is definitely that era where this is... They are trying to get you with the wow factor of like, wow, look at these amazing shots. Look at the scenery. Look at, look at, where, we, look at where we filmed outside. Isn't it beautiful? They're not doing a whole lot in terms of like, you know, I, I, for a while there, I was like, they're not really doing much in terms of uh, any sort of major tricks. There's a couple of nice little cool shots with like under the, the, the Surrey and all that. But for a second there, I was like, OK, this is going to be more. I thought this was going to be more a little a little more paint by numbers, uh, although it gets a, I think I think it does make a turn in a little bit, but. Yeah, to start with, I thought it was a little more, a little more paint by numbers musical than I was, uh, than I was anticipating. But that's just me. Mm. Interesting. Anyway. 
Anyway. Another hot take by Cody. I guess so. We're just full of them tonight. So, yes, uh, it turns out, though, uh, Curly's pulling their leg. Uh, he doesn't have this beautiful Surrey with the fringe on the top, but uh, basically just still is like, boy, what if I did? You know, I could. Maybe I will. Uh, nearly gets Lori uh, to switch sides, but then says, no, I promised Judd that uh, I'd go with him. Uh, and then, yeah, we do, I think, it, uh, encounter Judd for uh, just a moment, and we see this... Um, just a repulsive man. <laughs> Just an abhorrent, repulsive affront to God, Judd. Oh, Judd. He is played by Rod Steiger. Um, as, yes, he is the field hand. He is the guy who is, he's got his own, the smokehouse is, I think, what he calls it, where he lives uh, on the farm. And, yes, he is uh, going to go to... He's, Judd is going to go to the Spock Social uh, with Laurie as a bit of Laurie doing a little bit of a, a revenge for Curly, trying to make him jealous and all that. But like I said, why Judd? You have to pick Judd. You could pick any other guy. Just not Judd. Moving on, meanwhile, uh, Cowboy Will Parker. And by the way, I should say, all of the, the first 45 minutes of the musical, of the stage musical, all takes place on Aunt Eller's farm. They do some cuts here where they go to the train station and stuff like that. Uh, that was one of the few changes they made. Apparently, the studio was very worried. They're like, we cannot have the first 45 minutes of a two and a half hour movie literally in one location. We cannot yeah. do that. Which, Yeah, a lesson that The Walking Dead never learned. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I jumped off ship about six episodes into season one, <laughs> which... I kept trying to go back, but then, like, by, like, I don't know, season four or five, everyone's like... You heard how bad it got? Yeah, everyone's like, no, don't even bother. It's not even yeah. worth it. Yeah. I would say the first season of that is probably some of the most perfect television I've ever seen. Yeah. It was good. It was good for yeah. a time. Yeah. I always say, though, uh, I was, after that first episode, I was like, wow, is this what it's going to be like? Where they're all, like, a little individual stories every week to see how people are dealing with this, and then it wasn't that, and I kind of lost interest. Because I thought the mm. first episode was good. Anyway, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Oklahoma, and uh, yeah. we're, we're now at the train station. When did station. the zombies come in? Yeah, they, they, uh, that's for a different musical. We're, we have some uh, zombie musicals at some point. At some point. Mm. Meanwhile, we meet cowboy Will Parker. Uh, Will Parker, played by Gene Nelson, and we find out uh, he's off the train station. He's just gotten back. From Kansas City, of all places. you know Kansas City, you say? Yeah, Kansas City, and boy, oh boy, uh, the toilets there are as shiny as ever. They are beautiful. <laughs> just, he likes the... the uh, he doesn't say that, by the way. He just, he just likes the modern living of Kansas, Kansas City. Uh, just everything about it is wonderful. The big, uh, ultra-modern, almost futuristic Kansas City. And, of course, he then waxes poetic about all of the incredible modern amenities of Kansas City in the song Kansas City. Um, a great little uh, brochure uh, for the city itself uh, as they've gone about as far as they can go. Yeah, uh, they're actually, what's interesting is Rodgers and Hammerstein actually, they they underestimated the uh, the um, the modernity or the modernity of uh, Kansas City because... There's a line where he says they went and built a skyscraper seven stories high. Uh, this is supposed to take place in 1906, and apparently uh, 
The tallest buildings in Kansas City were a 12-story building, the New York Life Insurance Building, and the 17-story Commerce Trust Tower. Oh. So, <laughs> so it was actually a little bit bigger than uh, they had they had thought. Well, yeah. well, well. Uh, yeah. I bet the Kansas the folks of Kansas City were none too pleased to be yeah. disparaged. They're like, hey, wait. Hey. Also, this is uh, I believe this is the first song where there's some uh, censorship in the uh, lyrics, correct? There are. There are. Uh, do you have those lyrics on hand? I saw them. I do. Okay. Because uh, I read the original... these. Go ahead and read it because when I read it, I was like, what? What's, what's so bad? So the original uh, song has, I could swear she was padded from her shoulder to her heel, but later in the second act, when she began to peel... She proved that everything she had was absolutely real. This is the movie version. This well, the is the, the musical. That's the musical. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so she gets naked. It's about a burlesque dancer, basically. Right, 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 right. And then in the film, it's changed to, I swear she was padded from her shoulder to her heel, but then she started dancing and that her dancing made me feel ah. that, every sing- that every single thing she had was absolutely real. So okay. basically, it's it's the idea of, not taking her clothes off. Right, stripping. Is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the lyric where it's like, ah, yeah, you can't say they're naked, but then in the very next scene, we can show yeah. uh, Lori swimming naked. Uh, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want to show things like people getting nude, especially people who are, uh, they are, they are agreeing to be nude. You know what I mean? What you want, though, is wholesome stuff like men going, you're not going to be rid of me no matter what you do. I'm never going to be rid of you. Uh, that's what you really want. Um, <laughs> nice wholesome things. Right, 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 right. Wholesome things. Uh, anyway, yeah, unnecessary censorship aside, this is a very fun number. This is the first one where I think I said I was a little worried. Uh, I was like, uh-oh, is this going to be very like paint-by-numbers movie musical adaptation? Uh, turned out new because this whole number kicks ass. I love this number. It's really, really fun. Uh, the part that just gets me is when they are doing the, uh, when he's doing the lasso between, when he's going between the big old lasso is so good. And yeah. the, ta- and the tapping with the cowboy, bo- it's really good. So there was one moment, cause this is very long. This yeah, is it's a so long, long. It's a long one. Yeah, there's a moment when they were in the in the middle of tapping, and uh, like part of like my brain, like my spirit, like exited myself, and was like watching myself watch the movie, <laughs> and all I could, and all I could think about is, all, all I could think about is walking into a room and having this on, and have it at just be the part where the music drops out, and it's just going. Yeehaw! Woohoo! Yeehaw! Woo! And I'm like, okay, um, this in a in a little vacuum, there there's like a 20 second part that's utterly ridiculous because oh yeah, absolutely, with no build up to it, all you see is dudes shimmying, and you hear complete yeah, just silent yeah, and then in the background, guys going. Yeehaw! Yep. Woo! It's great. <laughs> I love it. It's it's wonderful. It's, it's so silly. And it's I was like very silly. Yeah, I was enjoying it, but like I said, part of me just like I just like all of a sudden I like zoned in on the moment. 
I felt like I saw the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, what an ending too! Uh, doing the you know kicking his legs up on the train, and then the horse coming in. He jumps on the horse. Bravo! Yeah, bravo! And then the uh, the 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 obvious stunt double switch of the the females as oh, yeah. they jump off the train. <laughs> oh yeah, like, very very camera obvious. camera right on their face. <laughs> I'm like, all right, they don't give a shit. Oh god. <laughs> So we do find out also in that song, in the in the events of that song, uh, Will is looking for his sweetheart, Ado Annie. Um, he has, of course, uh, now we do learn in the next scene where, yeah, as I mentioned, uh, we see Laurie swimming naked, uh, where, yeah, again, we can talk about people. We can't talk about t- people taking off their clothes, but we can show a woman uh, clearly in the nude, uh, in the water. You know, just either way is fine. I, I'm cool with either one, but just, you know. Be consistent is all I'm saying. Don't see a problem. Uh, no. Uh, we do meet Ado Annie, and we meet her new infatuation, uh, a sort of like uh, elixir salesman, I guess, uh, magic potion sales. I don't even know what you call him. What do you call it? I'm trying to figure out the word. A peddler. Well, they call, they call him a peddler. A peddler. A peddler. Like a, he's like a snake oil salesman. Yeah. That's what it is. Thank you. Snake oil salesman. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Ali Hakim, and he's played by Eddie Albert, and... And uh, there is absolutely no effort to, uh, well, you know what? In a way, it's 1955. Paul, we talked about enough movies here where there is uh, questionable uh, choices made in terms of racial depictions in these movies. Mm -hmm. One, clearly a white guy playing a man named Ali Hakim from Persia. Um, Wait, he, which guy? Okay, <laughs> don't don't you get smart with me? Hold on, maybe the ver- maybe the uh, the version you watched they have a different actor because this <laughs> man is clearly Persian mm-hmm. uh, from from all accounts. Now, one, he's got a ridiculous accent. Now, this is actor uh, as I mentioned, Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert, a comedic star of his era, a Green Acres, a huge hit show that he was on a few years later. Uh, so yeah, this guy is a pretty well-known guy to uh, to those audiences of the time. I appreciate, though. Uh, the, I guess I have to give them credit for not uh, doing brownface here. It feels well, weird well, to be like, "Good for you! You didn't do something hor- horribly racist." But it was 1955, so I, I guess I'll give them like half a point for that. Cody, what you don't realize is that he's a con man, and. Good point. He's pretending. So he's pretending character. to be Persian, which actually makes complete sense, since his accent disappears and comes back whenever he so chooses. <laughs> you know what? All right. That's my enough. that's my armchair uh, booking for this. That's my armchair quarterbacking. That's what I'm assuming they did. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, go off of you, and uh, yeah, that makes me feel a little bit better about uh, about everything. Anyway. Point being, he's like, "Oh, it's a me. I'm a Persian. Eh? <laughs> Give me a mozzarella. I'm a Persian." <laughs> so, Ado Annie is infatuated with Ali Hakim. Um, although Lori then tells her, "Hey, what about Will? What, what about that guy?" And then uh, Ado Annie then tries to explain to her exactly where she's coming from. Uh, in the song, I Can't Say No. Uh, one, this is the first taste of hearing that, uh, oh, that the Gloria Grams try. 
at singing. Uh, also, uh, another one where the actual uh, substance of the song is a little iffy. Yeah, this is, uh, it gets real quaint here. Um, quaint I also, by some eyes. <laughs> also, there's some sort of, a, listening to it a little more, I'm like, there's, there's a... Uh, something that I'm sure modern audiences would maybe dig a little more into. Oh, no. Like, oh, yeah, there's something else going on here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's this weird, you know, it's definitely, there's a whole lot of sexual innuendo throughout this entire oh, yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout this entire musical. But I'm wondering what the obsession was with, especially in, in pictures that take place either in the Old West or in, like, stuff like Oklahoma, out in, out in, the, in the middle of nowhere, where... There's women characters who have dead parents mm-hmm. and an asexual older aunt who takes care of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who's constantly doing nothing but trying to keep their legs I closed. mean, that's also like the Disney formula, too, I guess, when you think yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's always like the aunt. It's like, oh, my old aunt. It's like, how old were your parents if that's your aunt? Uh, but that's, Very true. Very yeah. true. And how come they're not married? Right. What's going on? Right. Yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is the the comedic relief of the movie is uh, is definitely, uh, uh, yeah, this uh, Ado Annie. And uh, yeah, so after the song, Lori basically tries to convince her you should be with Will, not with this peddler. Uh, but as she said, I can't say no. And uh, she loves this I guy. can't say no. Can't. Can't. With the I. Can't say can't no. Can't say no. Yeah, I love the spelling of all of them. And Judd is poor. Judd is dead. Is P O R E, and then dead is D A I D, dead. Poor yeah. Judd is, is dead. This is Hammerstein, Hammerstein, whatever, and Rogers. Two dudes who grew up in New York mm-hmm. who are just so elitist. <laughs> They're just like <laughs> exactly what it is. <laughs> They're like, this is how they talk. Why it's all or nothing in Oklahoma. <laughs> like <it's... laughs> so we head back to Aunt Eller's farm. Ali Akeem has already beat them there. He's trying to trick old Aunt Eller into buying some of his wares, uh, all that stuff. Try and then actually sells, gives Lori the elixir of Egypt, uh, which uh, she, she decides to take on. Uh, but after which, that, by the way, is not Persian. It's not Persian. Persian is near is now Iran. <laughs> Egypt Egypt is in a different place. <laughs> this is all very <laughs> But it, for for 1955 purposes they all just went yeah, yeah, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Will does arrive and basically tries to profess her love his love to Edo Annie and uh yeah, she kind of rebuffs him to start. But now the townspeople are all starting to gather at Aunt Eller's farm uh, to all get ready and refresh themselves uh, before the big box social as uh, Lori looks on. And, a sea uh, of bonnets shows up, Cody. A, a sea, sea of bonnets. of bonnets. The sea of bonnets. Uh, we see, I believe, what's her name? Gertie, who's got that horrific laugh, uh, <laughs> is accompanying Curly here. Uh, and as everybody uh, is singing as they uh, arrive, uh, oh, what a beautiful morning as, as everybody is arriving. And everybody, all the men are taking the horses off to go get refreshed. All of the ladies go inside uh, to get themselves ready for the big day. 
Uh, and that is where we hear many a new day. Uh, another delightful little number. Uh, Shirley Jones's first chance to really shine here in this movie. Uh, just a oh. go ahead, Paul. Going from uh, oh, for Ado, the Ado Annie song to to Lori is just wow. It's the chaser we needed after that, dude. Yeah. It is. Yeah, her voice is incredible. Her voice is incredible. Uh, she's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, just, uh, it just, she's fantastic uh, in this song. And this whole, this whole number is a really fun number uh, with all the girls getting ready. I think this is a even the way they present this is a little bit different than in the original stage version. But yeah, all in all, like a really fun uh, sort of uh, yeah, sweet, very uh, uh, you know, quaint number here with some great performances. Yeah, it's all about getting over, you know, a little bit of heartbreak. Being exactly. like, got to show exactly. you don't care, you know? Exactly. You know, because old, yeah. you know, Curly is just with this wretched witch woman uh, <laughs> with that horrific laugh. Uh, in, so, yeah, in you song get form, over. this is basically all these women getting together and going, men, huh? Huh. You know, they're terrible. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Men, they're awful. They're the worst. We should know. Meanwhile, Ado Annie uh, is still, uh, you know, just super thirsty for for old Ollie, for old Ollie. Uh, her father then arrives and basically uh, essentially is forcing Ollie to get married to his daughter, uh, being very, very pushy the entire movie. Uh, and, yeah, now, I've is- heard of shotgun weddings where people are pregnant, so they have to get married. Mm-hmm. But literally, like. Hold on, you sweet talk my daughter. Looks like he got to marry her. I'm yeah, like, absolutely. Lord. These are the rules. These are the rules. There's now a shotgun in your mouth, and you now have to marry her. Uh, meanwhile, now we're picking some fruit off of some trees, and uh, Curly is with Gertie, who just is laughing again, and uh, Lori is trying to talk to him. And the two then get a moment alone where they try to talk to each other, uh, sort of flirting back and forth. Uh, Curly then does upset Lori, despite uh, her promises not to let uh, him bother her. And then Curly, Curly flirts back to try to, uh, uh, or he was flirting with uh, Gertie to make her jealous. But then the two sort of, as they get that moment alone, uh, start to talk about, uh, you know, they're yeah, been... sort of joke around their feelings with each other. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, but you're going to skip all over the fight? That almost breaks out. Oh, true. Sorry, I, I, I my notes are uh, a little sparse. That's right. The girls start. Yeah, Lo- yeah. yeah Lori, Lori ain't taking none of this little smarmy bullshit from that girl. <laughs> yeah, the girls start fighting here. Yeah, I mean, you know, Gertie needs to be knocked in the mouth a little bit, and yeah. maybe that laugh no. will stop. Lori straight up was like, "What bitch? What?" So yeah, <laughs> Lori's super jealous uh, because Curly was was flirting. And then basically Curly then sort of poking fun at her starts to sing a song that is uh, one of, I think, the other highlights of this movie. Yeah, uh, Such a great song. People this is my favorite song. People will say we're in love. Feels very much like every Roger and Hammerstein has this sort of duet. Um, Carousel was obviously a much more serious and like, uh, heartfelt duet than with uh, "If I Loved You," uh, but this is very much in the same vein uh, of that sort of song. Obviously, with a different, uh, with the mood to match uh, this musical and what's going on here. Uh, a beautiful song. Uh, two incredibly talented singers. Um, 
and uh, it's yeah it's it's a highlight of the movie for a reason in the end of the show yeah and it becomes a top 40 hit by multiple multiple people it is insane yeah uh some of the people who have covered it uh i'm gonna go ahead and start here uh frank sinatra of course who we've talked about of course. the show uh nancy williams andy williams mary lou williams uh robert palmer hmm let's see the platters the ink spots let's see sorry i had a couple more here oh bing crosby bing crosby doris day sammy davis jr and carmen mcrae ella fitzgerald uh nat king cole rosemary clooney yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a yeah. big list of people. This is one of those musicals where the songs become standards. Um, yeah, obviously. Oh, but what this a is morning. built to be a standard. Yes, a standard, a duet. It's it's perfect. It is absolutely begging for that, uh, for two incredible singers to to match up. Uh, Especially on this song. if they have like on stage chemistry. Yep. Yep. And it's they, they just have a knack for doing this of giving these very show offy songs where both the man and the and the woman get a chance to really shine in the same song. Um, and yeah, this is uh, you know what it's it's their first shot at it, and it frankly not very many uh, really rival it after this. It's a it's it's a pretty phenomenal tune. It's really great. And this you could really see why they cast them in Carousel as well because their chemistry is really great on screen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Their voices match. They are just, yeah, they click. You're right. It, it just kind of felt like a no-brainer. Uh, not only because it was a successful movie, but as for, for the reasons you mentioned. So after the song, it does kind of feel like maybe Curly is getting Lori to warm back up to him. And he asks, like, hey, maybe you could come with me to the box social tonight and ditch old Judd. Uh, which she then is kind of hesitant to do, doesn't want to back out. So he decides, you know what, I'm going to go see why all the girls love this old Judd, uh, he says sort of sarcastically as he heads over to Judd's smokehouse. Um, that's where he encounters Judd, who is, uh, yeah, he's got a gun kind of going around. And um, this is the one part of the of the show where I'm like, you know, what, Curly's been a decent, he's been an all right guy. And then this song <laughs> where he's essentially... Um, I mean, being a bully. He's being a bully here, you know. And Judd's not the best guy, but uh, let's be honest. Uh, you know, having... one thing I, one thing yeah. I made sure to make a note of though, because I thought this was a really funny moment that just kind of goes by and they don't acknowledge it, is when he enters the place, he takes off his hat as you do because you're not a monster. Of course, of course, you're not a monster, right? And he tosses it onto the 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 shelf as he walks in next mm-hmm. to the door, and. A cloud of dust comes up. That's I didn't <laughs> catch it. It's so funny. Like I don't know. It just and because it, it just it just happens and they just move along and it's <laughs> it's so it made me laugh. I was like, that's amazing. It is funny. And I mean, this whole song, even though again he is being mean here. Uh, oh yeah. Does he like, say hmm. something about hanging himself? Oh yeah. Oh, he grabs the rope. He goes, huh? Pretty sturdy hook and rope you got here. You know, you could just hang yourself here. Yeah, everyone will uh, be really happy. They'll actually really appreciate you if you're dead. Uh, You know, everyone will be really sad if you're dead. Uh, Yeah. Straight up, like, mean high school bully uh, online harassment shit uh, back here in 1906, Oklahoma. Uh, Yeah, and poor Judd is dead, uh, which is a song that is kind of depicted as a kind of comedic. 
You mean poor Judd is dead. Dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where then Curly uh, talks about, uh, hypes up his funeral, essentially. Like, damn, dude, you're going to look so good. You're going to look so good when you're dead. Almost like almost like one of those, like, oh, people rem- remember you fondly. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. They'll, like, like uh, you know, they'll, they'll feel sorry for you and, like, yep. you're like, They'll like you. They'll they'll realize you were a misunderstood guy, and that uh, and your fingernails will be as clean as they ever were. Uh, you know, so maybe you should be dead. Uh, that's really it. That's that's what I'm trying to say. My other note I had was when he stands up. Now there's a lot of high waisted pants in this movie, <laughs> but Judd's pants none more high waisted are I'm gonna say an inch or two below his nipples. Like they are so high. <laughs> Those are, he's good in the case of a flood. In case of those spring floods, that would happen. He's yeah, all good. It's, uh, oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. My God. <laughs> it's about seven, it's like five, it's like a f- good foot above his belly button. My, oh my word. By the way, I do like the um, the little call response he would have uh, for every once in a while that Judd would do, just the little, one little word. Uh, it's very yeah. funny. But yeah, so Judd, sort of goes along with it at the end um clearly because he's not the smartest guy and uh he's uh like i said in the stage version he's not sympathetic but like you get but he seems like a person he's a person it's really that song does it man that song does it uh where you're like oh fuck like this is this yeah. Is it's, sad. it's like it's it's like if you didn't have uh, stars in Les Mis, right? Right. I mean, he or or if you didn't have a uh, dear Theodosia in in Hamilton. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Judd is the first incel. Is basically what I'm getting mm. at. That's what he is. Uh, and I well, say that maybe maybe stop frowning all the time and dust your shelves, man. There you go. Exactly. You know what? Everyone's maybe you should put on a smile every once in a while, Judd. Yeah. You know, you look great when you smile, you know? Yeah. You Come on, Judd. Come you look on. so much cuter when you smile. Come on. Someone, put on a nice smile. Anyway, after the song, then, uh, the two sort of try to have some sort of heart to heart. But then, oh, uh, yeah, we find out Judd uh, has uh, does have a dark past and has done some nefarious shit. And then he eventually catches on to why Curly's really there. He's trying to. Yeah, he's he's trying to get Laurie away from from him for the box social. Uh, there's a gunshot, then there's another gunshot. As then Curly tries to show off his his skills with the gun, and uh, everybody in the farm freaks out uh, as to what's as going on. As they should. Yeah, two guns go off. There's a couple of gunshots. Yes, exactly. Oh, so everybody sort of departs for the day to to once again sort of uh, until that night to get to get ready uh, for the. Box By the way, I, I don't want to say. I don't want to condone, uh, Mister. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the Persian king himself, Ali Ali Hakim. Yeah, Ali Hakim. I don't want to. I don't want to speak ill of Ali Hakim here or give him any wrong ideas, but this was the perfect distraction. To get on your horse, yeah, and get the fudge out of town. Yeah, exactly. Instead, he was like trying to like talk to Judd at one point. I'm like, what are you doing? Get out of there! You're right. Yeah, it's Absolutely it's like, right. dude, you won out of the situation. That was your chance. Right. Exactly. 
everybody is now sort of getting ready for the box social. But meanwhile, uh, there's some downtime on the farm and uh, Lori sets out to the porch and she grabs that. What is it? The little uh, the Egyptian. Uh, what was it? Essence of Egypt or something like that. Uh, sort of a smelling salt perfume sort of thing. Uh, yeah. That she decides, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to get a. Uh, I'm gonna get a little blasted before we this, we start this thing. Uh, let's go. Let's uh, let's tickle the nostrils a little bit before. We yeah, get she this definitely she definitely killed some brain cells smelling that. Absolutely. I mean, look at what happens afterwards. Um, we do get uh, yeah when she takes the little elixir, we do hear a, a beautiful song out of my dreams uh, and into her sings. car. Yes, thank you. That she sings as she then enters. The uh, Oklahoma's version of uh, some sort of Twilight Zone uh, dreams. We get the dream ballet here, uh, which I think we mentioned in a different world in a maybe 10 years prior to this. And Rogers and Hammerstein don't have any involvement. Well, come to think of it. No, you know what? No, 10 years prior, because I'm trying to think now, let's go with the Gene Kelly timeline. Um but one, that's Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly basically was like, I'm going to do it. It's my way or the highway. And uh, he was right. And two, the, 10 years prior to this, they are not having these big ballet sequences in, in movie musicals. So, yeah, this would probably uh, have been cut significantly, if not altogether, which is a shame. Uh, it's really uh, it's a cool sequence. It's just a really it's a really cool sequence that I think absolutely needs to be in uh a proper presentation of Oklahoma. Yeah, it's really well done. Uh, it did throw me for a second because I messaged you and I said, are, are these different people? Cause I was like, why is there different people? I was so confused. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's, you see like, uh, yeah. Shirley Jones, like fades, like she's in front, she's behind the dancer and then sort of fades off. And then Gordon McRae, it's less obvious, but yeah, he does the same thing. Um, and yeah, we are getting dancers here. But what makes it even more confusing, I'm sure, is that it's still Rod Steiger as Judd in the scene. So, yes, it's all confusing. This dream, of course, quickly turns into a nightmare. Uh, she eventually she thinks she's dreaming of marrying Curly. Uh, but eventually uh, she does. She lays a kiss and oh, my God, it's Judd. And then it devolves into um the seedy underbelly of Oklahoma, or I don't know, maybe she's in Kansas City at the Judd's at the burlesque show. Uh, we know Judd's got a naked lady on his wall, so uh, we know he's a, a seedy individual, you know? Yeah, and there's also the moment where, like, all the townspeople are, like, still, and it's like... Uh, yes. She's in, like, a, like a like an invasion of the body snatchers moment or something. <laughs> it's, it's just yes. very strange. There are some really cool shots here. There's, like, the exterior of, like, the house, like... The, the set where she's like climb up the stairs and then there's like that big hallway shot. Um, yeah, there's, there's some there's some great stuff here. It eventually comes down to a showdown between Judd and Curly. Uh, this is very surreal for a 50s movie. Very surreal. And I mean, that's yeah. It, well, take it another step. Imagine what audiences in 1943 felt. Yeah. Just I mean, maybe that surreal quality doesn't pop as much on stage. But nonetheless, like, this shit's wild. Yeah. The other thing, too, is the backdrops 
So it gives it even more of a surreal thing because we've been filming on location mm-hmm. this whole time. And then all of a sudden there's a backdrop of like a tornado. And yes. like, so it looks like it looks fake and like in a good way though, because it makes it look even more like ethereal and weird. Yes, absolutely. She does wake up and oh dear God, there's Judd. <laughs> Although, you know what? Hey, Judd cleans up well. I'll give him that. But he's ready to take her out for the evening. Uh, this is where I reached the intermission here, uh, leading up to the intruct day, which, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think I watched the roadshow version, so I got this little, uh, get the little intermission cards and all that, so to really give yeah, myself get that. the full, the full theater experience here, Paul. That's what I was getting. Yeah, I didn't get that. Well, well, you know, teach their own. So Judd is driving Lori to the box social. Curly's looking; he's in the front. He's looking back, jealous. Uh, and this is where Judd then tries to get a little too cozy with Lori. Uh, eventually, tries to kiss her, uh, but then she basically knocks out the uh, she. She gets the horses to go off track. Uh, things get wild; they nearly crash. Uh, and basically, uh, when Judd comes off of the Surrey, they nearly get hit by a train. Uh, but Judd gets off the Surrey, and then that is where uh, Laurie decides to take matters into her own hand and ride off, uh, leaving Judd behind in the dust. We head to the box social in some sort of unfinished barn here. Uh, I don't know what box socials in Oklahoma looked like in 1906. Is this? Uh, do they have just like some sort of... Oh, no, this would be the schoolhouse, I guess, right? That's what they're there for. This is the unfinished schoolhouse, and they're all doing a little... Yeah. Uh, Okay, that makes sense. Never mind. That's okay. why they're getting the money together. That's right. That's right. Okay, I take it all back. Anyway, some great dancing going on here. Uh, and yeah, we're... There's there's a... What, a little bit of... Like a teensy little bit of tension, I guess. But uh, we diffuse it all with the song The Farmer and the Cowman. Uh, just a fun little ditty uh, to kind of... Uh, get us back into the swing of things here for what would have been the second act of the musical uh big fun number big dance number uh we're in the middle of it all yeah there is some tension but again we're told the farmer and the cowmen they should be friends well it's all well organized by caesar romero in his joker outfit (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say ron white in his joker That was what I was yeah, kind of going with. Yeah, looks, he looks more like Ron White, now that you yeah. mention it. I have it on right now as, as we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, same here. And, and uh, yeah, he, do, he does look more... I, just, I was going more by suit, and you're, but you are correct. His face is definitely The more face, and honestly, I could see him rocking that type of suit as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in the middle of it all, the men are getting a little feisty. Uh, Aunt Eller tries to calm things down. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but uh, things... In the middle of it all, I think we also see like Will and uh, and Ado Annie are, are having a moment uh, where Ado Annie is still, you know, anyway, she's doing her Ado thing. Well, there's a giant fight, and then the girls just laugh and dance and clap along with all the men in this giant brawl of, yeah, like, of course. 30 dudes just fighting. And then Aunt Eller comes in and shoots a gun in the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's to right. stop the whole thing. That's right. And then and then everyone's like, okay, now they're all calm. Let's all have a laugh. And they all start square dancing. And then <laughs> dance off. And then this is yeah. where we get the just fantastic square dancing scene uh, to wrap yeah. it up. Uh, another real long number in this movie. And again, in, in musicals that movie musicals that don't tend to have numbers uh, quite this long. So after all that tension, after all the dancing is done, we have an auction to raise money uh, for the school. 
At the same time, Will has now sold off a lot of his belongings uh, to Ali Hakim because basically Will has found out I got to have at least $50 in my pocket. And that's the only way Edo Annie's going to get with me. This whole time, Ali Hakim does not want to be with Edo Annie. So it's his little way of being like, I'll just buy everything you got for basically $50. Uh, he's like a few bucks short, but he eventually gets the money. So, uh, yeah, once Annie, a lunch with Annie is being auctioned off, uh, he then uh, puts it all down on the line and uh, bets it all on Annie. Although, at the same time, uh, Annie's father then uh, forces Ali Hakim to uh, win the bid. Yeah, but I believe before the forcing part is when uh, Judd comes back. Judd is has come back, although he's not part of this bidding war quite yet. Uh, no, but he does go and buy one item, which is the item with the blade in it. Of course. Yeah, that's right. He gets the little uh, naughty little uh, periscope. Yeah, with, uh, the with naughty the pictures that Will brought from Kansas City. Yeah, uh, and this is him, by the way, walking there since. <laughs> yes, uh, walking Laura. the entire time. Yeah. I'd be pissed too. Maybe not. This yeah, you know pissed. what? Also, That's pretty bad. I mean, how does that have a knife? Again, it's a little like viewfinder thing where you click it to different pictures. Oh, it it's makes got no a sense, knife. Cody. It has a knife built in. That is like a, a large ch- knife. A large knife. Like a knife. five inch blade. Right. Imagine you accidentally click that. That's going to bonk you right in the head. You're going to have a gash in your head or worse. Not well designed. Not a well designed product whatsoever. Anyway. So, yes, Judd has arrived. He's got a weapon and he's got a chance to bid on Lori. Judd is trying to. Uh, win the auction for Lori. Meanwhile, Curly is looking on and realizes he's got to put everything on the line and he starts throwing everything in there. He sells his saddle, he sells his horse, he sells his gun. Eventually, he gets enough money uh, to win. Well, this is the part that I was, uh, I started to get a little lost in the weeds because I was kind of like, why is she like so betrothed to judge it at this point? Like, it's, I understand it's a different time. I mean, I, but think it's it's, not- I think it's just a matter of, like, she's been lying to herself this whole time, and now she's going to be stuck with this... She's just fearing she's going to be stuck with Judd. Yeah, but, like, why is she fearing that? It's just... It, that's I don't know if there's just something lost in, in like, the yeah, time translation of it, but... I think a little bit lost in the adaptation, to be quite honest, of, like, exactly why she's just worrying about it so much. I think it has more to do... I've always thought it as she just really likes she likes Curly more than she dislikes Judd, I think, you know, and just the idea of being with him. And, you know, and I think he's presented as like this sort of brutish, ugly, gross guy. Yeah. So why? Why does so why is it like not her choice at all? I'm so confused by it. It's yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I think it's it was her choice, and then she's now like, oh shit! Like, what if I'm stuck here? And like, it, yeah, more like why, what? I, I think it's more yeah, her think, being like, what if Curly is gone, and then I'm just stuck with this guy, and then I have to like take this guy because that's all that's all that's left. Maybe it's that. Yeah, but then yeah. like I feel like, but then Judd's like, nope, she's mine, and it's like, well then, yeah, at that then, point, then he gets a little possessive, right? Yeah, I I just don't like. I I think I would have understood it more like, especially during for the time period. If you did like another shitty sequence where mm-hmm. it's like if she had a father and he was like, nope, you're going to marry that man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 
that like shitty thing that pa- that parents used to do <laughs> back then, then I would kind of understand like, okay, at least there's like a motivated reasoning as to why she feels like she's stuck yeah. as opposed to just being like, well, I told him I would. It's like, well, then just tell him you don't want to. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. So after uh, after Curly wins the bid, uh, Judd takes him aside and says, hey, I got to show you something. And he wants to show him the little naughty little telescope, which has the knife. And Eller, of course, caught the fact that uh, Judd got that, saw that it had the knife, grabs Curly immediately, says, come on, get on the dance floor. Uh, you don't need to be uh, you, you need to be dancing right now with your girl. Meanwhile. Uh, Will tells Ado Annie, it takes her aside and says, you got to stop oh, flirting God. with other men. And Paul's favorite song, clearly, uh, despite not being able to stop flirting, uh, despite him not being willing to stop flirting with other women. See, these are the rules, Paul. I've been watching a lot of Sopranos. I get it. He He's allowed to have a guma, and uh, yeah. she is not uh, in of all course. or nothing. <laughs> they are following Sopranos rules here. Yeah, all or nothing. Um, another fun spelling going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you have two songs for Ado Annie and you cut out Judd's, I'm a little exactly. like... Exactly. Uh, this, uh, is, this is the problem with this adaptation is uh, either go all in or don't. And if you're going to make cuts, these are the cuts. This is a superfluous storyline. It's, it is the one thing that everybody does follow this blueprint of how you make musicals now. And again, the music, uh, it, by and large, in Oklahoma is phenomenal. There's literally songs in here that are just perfect. There are perfect songs. But the thing that the, the thing that they follow that I think, boy, it just it took too long to toss that out. And there's still musicals that are doing this to this day. The unnecessary secondary storyline. Uh, this isn't an this isn't a sitcom where you got two storylines here. Like this is a full on story that's gonna last three hours. Like, but what, I want to know what Chandler's doing. Right. That's it's not that. <laughs> that's not what we're doing here. We're telling a story. Like, I don't know. It's it's maybe some people will take issue with what I'm saying, but it's uh, I I think that the whole yeah, like I, let's add a second story that doesn't really have anything to do w- with what's happening here you can make an argument of like oh you need Ado Annie to sort of balance uh, what who Lori is like they're so different um, but i think it's also exacerbated by the fact that she's not a good singer there's that too there's that too and i so, think the, so and, it's it's more egregious when you get two songs that you're like oh god and uh, also this song is uh, highly problematic there's that oh, of too. course yeah that as well but i think also by the way I mean, I feel like we, we, we've we kind of uh, been very harsh on the actress who plays Ado Annie. The singing rest of the wise, time, yeah, the rest of the wise, time, she's uh, great. Yeah, exactly. Singing-wise, she's not strong, but, like, uh, yeah, she's fine. Like, yeah, the character's she, supposed in other to be scenes, She's funny, you know? She's gorgeous. Like, she does everything else right. It's just, you should have just had someone dub over that singing. That's it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Which they've done in musicals before this. That's the weirdest thing, is, like, they do it all the time. They do it all the time, and yet this was the exception for some reason. It just, huh? It's weird. It's very, very weird. Maybe it's just Rogers and Hammerstein are just like, yeah, no. If, you're, if yeah. you're going, if you're going to do something from the stage, you must do it like the people on the stage. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Unless they're dancing ballet. <laughs> In which case, we should get professional ballet dancers. Exactly. To do that. Yeah. Exactly. I don't. I don't get it. No, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway. We go back to the dance. Uh, Judd 
basically drags Lori aside uh, and confronts her about leaving her in the du- leaving him in the dust. She yeah, this is the scene. This is the scene I talked about earlier where he's like, "You're not going to be rid of me ever." Like, yeah. Now he gets super creepy, possessive. Um, I guess it's again, it's like the whole idea of like uh, uh, again, strong incel energy. It's like the moment you got him. Now the moment he's like, "Oh my god, someone likes me," and then the moment they're like, "Eh, "Actually, you know what? I was just trying to be nice." And then he's like, "Well, it's too late now." If no one can have you, if, if I can't have you, no one will sort of feeling. Um, yeah, confronts her about it. She stands up for herself. He's like, well, yeah, it's, uh, you're not getting rid of me that easily. Luckily, Curly is right there to help her out uh, and, and to comfort her. And well, finally, no, Will's there to help her out. Yeah, Will's there, and then Curly shows up almost yeah. immediately afterwards. You're right. Yeah. Because um, Will's the good dude in this. Will's like, I feel like Will is... Other than the asking his soon-to-be wife, uh, hey, you gotta let me go into the city and stay out till three in the morning at the burlesque show. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like range of shittiness, like if we're grading on a curve, right. he's, he's one of the better ones. <laughs> For sure. I mean, Judd's number one. Uh, I would put Curly as a better guy, frankly, other than the obvious bullying of Judd. Um, I think at least Will has, at least Will knows what he wants. Fair enough. Well, it's like, I want you, but also I want to have fun with my boys. Like, at least he's saying what he wants. Right. Whether he's that's like, right I or love not. you, but Saturdays are for the boys. That's that's really yeah. what I'm trying to tell you here. Yeah, so, like, it's not right all the time, but at least he knows what the hell he wants. Whereas freaking Curly's just like, <laughs> like maybe, hmm. I, mean, they I don't want people to think yeah. I like you. Ooh, I don't. I mean, I like you, but I don't like like now, you. Now, see, now I'm going to stand up for him because I think it's more, she was like, eh, I'm playing hard to get. And then he's like, well, if you want to play that game, two can tango. And then he was hey. doing it too. I, that's what I think. Hey, people were, will say we're in love as a duet, Cody, not a solo. Fair <laughs> enough. And we <laughs> once again hear the reprise of said duet as finally they profess their love to each other. And in fact, yep. Curly's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's get married. Let's do this thing. And they sing, uh, let people say we're in love and uh, do a hell of a reprise uh, of the song. Just fantastic. So just a few weeks later, uh, well, we do see some, uh, yeah, we do get Ado Annie and Ali Akeem and all that. And, uh, basically Ali Akeem's like, yeah, yeah. Just, oh no, you'll break my heart if you, uh, if you go with Will, but, uh, is really just, uh, joking about it. Gets one big kiss goodbye, uh, and, uh, is off finally. By the way, this is crazy. So just cause I have the movie up right now, I, I didn't really realize this. So at the time, the two main characters finally agree that they're in love and they're going to get married. There's 20 minutes left of the movie. Right. It's not very much time is left in this movie. Not very much time left at all. An entire sitcoms episode is after the two people announce their love. Right. And there's like a brief scene after Will, after Hakeem leaves. Uh, But like we almost go immediately to a few weeks later. They're getting married. Yeah. Curly, yeah, Curly, and, uh, they're getting married. Meanwhile, of course, lurking in the background is Judd, uh, looking uh, very. I feel like the old, the older musicals would have ended at that engagement. Absolutely, they wouldn't have. They returned. The, they wouldn't have shown the wedding. They were. They returned to the box social reprise of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. End of the so- end of the musical. Yep. 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 Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's exactly how it would have happened. You're right. Uh, instead, they're getting married. 
And that is where we get uh, the other iconic song, the title song of the musical Oklahoma, which is just a fucking humdinger of a song, man. (laughs) I mean it. I love this song. It just gets you in a good mood, you know? Yeah. It's a, yeah, such a great tune. Um, It's such a, at the same time. It's now the state song of Oklahoma as well. Is it really? Yeah, they adopted it in 53, two years before the movie. Wow. I didn't know that. They love the musical so much. They said, all right, that's clearly, us now. We're Oklahoma. Clearly, we're not offended by the, uh, you know, elementary school, like, first grader spelling errors of the uh, songs uh, meant to disparage the good people of Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I could forgive it when, again, you get a song like this, which is so good. Uh, and he sounds great and everyone sounds great. And and like you said, in any other musical, the musical is over. This is where we're done. There's nothing else to be said. Judd has been defeated, essentially, um, and we're done. Except that's not what happens. Uh, Judd finally is seeking his revenge. Um, all, all the townsfolk are all... This is also very weird. In the musical, there's all of this, like... Uh, it's a tradition to just, like, harass the couples on their wedding night. Which is very weird and uh, a little uncomfortable. I feel like it's almost like some weird tradition that stems back to like the Middle Ages when they would like carry the wedding couple up to their like w- where they're gonna have their wedding yeah, night. That could be. That could be. Where they're like all drinking and like ah, and they're like basically like it's like almost like a roast like of of the couple or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost feels like like some weird like hangover from that yeah that you that know like, that, that might exactly be it that this is some weird tradition uh, that's that's hung on in some places but yeah i either way uh it's uh it's a little weird how much they get harassed oh yeah also i neglected to mention that uh, uh gertie gets the shit living shit beaten out of her uh by ado annie as uh we find out that ali hakeem has actually started to date gertie is actually married to gertie now uh, I do like the line uh, where he said it was either that or uh, shotgun or, you know, death by shotgun. And now he's like, I don't know which one I would actually rather have uh, after hearing her laugh. Um, so, yeah, she beats her up after Will. Again, the, the guy's like, hey, this is my guma. This is my guma. I'm allowed. Come on. Yeah. Uh, he gives her a big old kiss. And uh, that's where Ado Annie then starts uh, beating her up mercilessly. So, yeah, we get this, like, weird, like, they're harassing the couples and making them go on a giant haystack and throwing, like, hay babies at them. It's all, it's all very weird and slightly uncomfortable. Uh, all the while, Judd is finally getting his revenge, lighting the haystacks on fire, says, I've got a present for you. He's going to light their haystack. He lights their haystack on fire. Uh, Curly, our hero, throws Lori down to safety into a nice soft pile of hay, jumps down. With uh, as Curly as a uh, Judd is wielding a knife, he jumps down to get him, and uh, f- sort of falls onto Judd, and Judd stabs himself by accident, uh, in the stomach again. Yeah, avoiding the like, oh no, our main character can't actually do the killing. Uh, yeah, it's got they got to avoid it in a way, uh, just like Carousel. So yeah, stuck clean through him as they say. A nice little heart-to-heart Aunt Eller has uh, with Lori, basically talking about the events that happened and uh, as they are supposed to go off on a train to their new life and go on their honeymoon and um, start start a new life. But 
now Curly's facing trial for murder. <laughs> Literally minutes before this movie's about to end, uh, our main four minutes left, Cody. Four minutes left. Our main character faces trial for murder. <laughs> uh, this is like the 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 last half an hour of this movie is like restarting and stopping plots like three yeah. times. Like hustle, hustle, hustle. Let's go. So, yeah, the so what is the federal marshal comes in and basically says, yeah, you got to come down to the courthouse. You have to be tried. Uh, all of the townsfolk are like, he can't do that. He's about to go. Come on. It's just a little murder. It's just a little bitty murder. It's not a big deal. Let him go. Uh, but no, he's got to face trial. Luckily, the judge is there. He says, we're going to do it right here, right now. Uses a wooden ladle to, uh, by the way, speaking of that, I completely Well, the judge forgot. is the dad, too, right? Uh, yes, he's uh, Ado Annie's father. Ado yeah. Annie's father. Yeah, yeah. Ado Annie's father, who is the judge. By the way, I completely forgot to mention, maybe it's different because it was shot, it was a different take, but in the Todd A.O. version, there's that the auction mallet that Aunt Eller slams down. Did the mallet fly off of its handle? Uh, I noticed it immediately. She hit it so hard, it flies off the handle and literally shoots at the camera, which I'm glad they kept the shot. It was great. I'm really happy they cut that shot. She does it in the kitchen? No, it's when she's auctioning. It's when they're at the auction. Oh, shit. That's way earlier. Hold on. Yeah, it's way early. Don't worry about it. It's. I just thought it was a cool moment that they kept in, and it actually worked nicely. It was funny. Speaking of mallets, though, he uses a wooden. He uses a spoon as a mallet to basically try yeah. Curly. Uh, Curly uh, tries to defend himself, and he's like, "Wait, wait, wait! It, was it so what? What happened?" And he says, "I was defending myself. He tried to kill us." And then everybody says they were witnesses to it. Uh, everybody basically, he just said, "Yeah, the, uh, you defended yourself. You're fine. Don't worry. Go have fun. Go enjoy your life." Uh, old Judd, poor Judd is dead. Uh, people will like him, like you said. So you're fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, go enjoy your life with your lovely wife, yeah. Lori. Really leading the uh, the uh, leading the defendant the, yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, He's everybody. like, so what happened exactly when? Yeah. Yeah, come on, let it out, let it out. Mm-hmm. Ah, defend yourself. See, you're fine. Then we're good. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, perfect represent- representation of the United States justice system, right there. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we end with everybody setting off, or Curly and uh, Laurie setting off on their new life together, with many of the townsfolk following behind. And look at that, they're in their Surrey with the little white fringe on the top as they sing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. One more time, and we head, we look up to the sky as we end the motion picture. And uh, I even got a little exit music on the way out. I, I, again, I, I, I got the full premium experience here, so I uh, got the yep. exit music. So that was a nice little touch there, right at the end there. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plains, an iconic and uh, just a fun musical with uh, some great performances and some of the most memorable songs in movie musical history. Okay. So I went back. She the, ha- the the hammer flies off the handle. It does. And the actress like a pro her eyes look at it real quick and she just continues speaking as though nothing had happened. Bravo. And then it cuts to a side shot and she has a fully intact mallet in her hand. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That is, uh, yeah, again, the actress being uh, Charlotte Greenwood, 
Uh, yes. Yeah. Who? What a pro. Just that's an awesome moment. Oh, gosh. Uh, Paul, any final thoughts uh, on uh, this classic musical? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the thing is, uh, it's very long. Yes, and I think I think if I were to watch it again, it might be more either like I watch like half of it and watch the the rest of it like the next day, mm-hmm. or I would watch it in pieces. I don't, yeah. I can't really sitting down and watching the whole thing front to back. It might be like something you in, let you set yourself to do. You know what I mean? Where you're like, okay, today I really just want to watch the whole thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like you you make you make a little mini event out of it. <laughs> you're like, all right, this is what right. I'm do. This is uh, this is uh, you know, like what I did with the Irishman. I split it up into three parts. You know, I just uh, you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marty. I'm sorry, Marty Scorsese. But uh, yeah, it's split up in three parts. But uh, I, I watched the whole thing in its entirety, Cody. Did you really? Yeah. Damn. It's Have good. you watched it since? No. Will you watch it ever again? Probably. Really? What? What? I, I what? I, what? I, what, I, what I actually I will. Well, what I actually want to do, just because I I I, I, I saw a whole discussion about like. There's a lot of uh, moments from Goodfellas and The Irishman, which apparently are line up exactly the same, except one of like, look at the excess, and then living like, and look at the old man about to die. And it's kind of like, so I'd kind of like to do a double feature one day and watch both in a row, just because I feel like that would be interesting. It would but be. That, that's more of like a thought experiment and not really like entertainment purposes. <laughs> so I guess, yeah. does that count? Probably not. Yeah. You know, I, I when I think of watch rewatchability, I think of like more entertainment purposes. So yeah. for me like Oklahoma I might not watch again just on the fly. Sure, like I said, I it would have it. to be yeah, it would have to be like movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh if they ever do remake this movie, which uh frankly I think they will, and it's one that I will be okay if they do. Uh I think there's going to be some changes they can make with certain characters. Uh, have you had a chance? There is the re, there is a, the revival that was a big hit a couple of years ago. Where last they, year, yeah, it was last year. They yeah. completely modernized the music. Um, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, I mean, I like this style. I like the classical style. I, I just that's kind of what I prefer. So I like this one. I like the Hugh Jackman version that's on PBS. So I, I do think though, if they ever remake this, it's gonna be. In that style, in that like modern remake style of mm. Oklahoma, which I don't know if I like that. I'm conflicted because it is good, like it is impressive, but I, I don't know. I just like the burly, classic, you know, barrel-chested voice. That's what I like. Yeah, you know, I like my musicals old-fashioned. I like my men barrel-chested. That's what I like. I know <laughs> I'm a man who knows what he likes. Okay. Uh, also, Carousel has been, they've been talking about, I think we, we talked about the Carousel episode, but they've been yeah. talking about remaking that for years. So, um, Yeah, this one would be a little bit easier to remake, I think, than Carousel, just because there's less spousal abuse. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think it'd be, and I think it'd be really easy to tweak some of the characters to, like, make them not so stereotypical and, like, naive. I we think there's need, a way. Yeah. I think we there's can, a way you could tweak do- the Will Ado Annie storyline. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a way to do that where you can you can you know under the right hands you can actually make those 
and and do it well. Like yeah. that's the kind of modernization I would like, not the modernization of the music, a modernization of some of the themes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, we can actually cast someone uh, of Middle Eastern heritage in the character in the role of uh, Ali. Hussein. Yes, you know, yes, to keep to, to keep tradition with this movie, of course. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. That's gonna wrap it up for. Well, this. Hold on. What's the actor's name again? Just I just. Oh, Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert. You know, very classic Persian name. Eddie Albert. Eddie Albert. Anyway. Uh, anyway. We, oh, Cody. Know. Actually, hold on. His oh, real sh- name. Shut up. Don't. Is Edward Albert Heimberger. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that makes it okay, I guess. In, in the long run, it's, it was all okay. He, you know. Anyway. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Uh, more Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals to come this month, uh, all month long, and you can find those on our website, moviemusicalpod.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and uh, make sure to like us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Movie Musical Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. You can follow me at the Paul Ponte and at paulponte.com for my photography, music, and podcasting projects. And until next time, I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. And we will see you down the yellow brick road. Bye. <laughs>